different people along the way. Casey did a great job last week talking about flying Blackhawks and handling anxiety through that. But today we're going to hear from Richie Perez talking about how God's working this in his life. So let's give it up for Richie. Awesome. Hello? Am I going through? Okay, sweet. Um, I just want to say, uh, guys night, when is that happening? Uh, yeah. Uh, so thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, my name is Richie Perez. Um, so I'm just going to share a little bit how um, God's kind of been flourishing in my uh, daily work life. So I work at Best Buy, and I've been there since August 2015, so two and a half years. Um, I am a merchandising specialist. Um, so that means I'm in charge of, like, price changes, um, unloading trucks, uh, making sure sales floor is stocked and, you know, when customers come in, it's there. And that it's also in the right spot. Um, and then my absolute favorite is just helping out customers, customers in general, right? Um, so when I first applied there, I was, I was looking for a job that just paid enough and uh, got my bills paid and, you know, it was going to get me through school. Um, being able to eat and stuff like that. And I was also looking at flexibility, just making sure that, you know, they were able to work with my school schedule um, and all those things. So when I began getting discipled, so one of the key points that I was being taught was that God should be in the center of everything. And that included school and work. Um, So the way I took this was separating uh, the secular world from my ministry. Um, so at work, I would, you know, stay away from toxic conversations, anything that, you know, had to do with, like, um, that wasn't going to help me with my growth. That was my ideal solution of um, the way to honor God in this situation. Um, but that is not what God wanted for me. So at Best Buy, um, they have a very strict policy, attendance policy. It's a three strikes, you're out kind of thing. And I kind of stretched this uh, in a way, and I hit my third strike. And my boss came up to me. I was like, hey, this is your third time being late. Um, it's pretty much up for termination, and it's up to the store manager to to see what she wants to do. Um, so I was freaking out. You know, I was like, oh, man, I've never been fired. Um, I could lose my income. Um, what am I going to do? So just a lot of insecurities coming through. Uh, the good thing was that my boss, my store manager, was out for a couple of weeks, so that gave me some time to pray <laughs> and just hope that God came through. And so when she finally she finally came back, and one day I was just walking into work, and then she comes up to me right before I clock in. She's like, "Hey, Richie, I need to talk to you before you clock in." So I was like, "Oh man, this is it. I'm I am done." Um, so she finally talks to me, and she's like, "Hey, I heard you got your third strike." Uh, I was like, I'm going to be, we're going to pretty much clean your, your uh, attendance uh, clean. So you're going to start fresh. Um, we really appreciate you and, and value you. And so that kind of just left me speechless. I was like, thank you so much. Like, I was so, uh, I was so grateful in that, um, in that situation. So that was probably like the hardest I've ever worked that day. I was just, I clocked in, I went to work, and it was just, yeah. So God used this situation to start helping me build my character, to start being shaped into the man he called me to be and the future that he had designed for me. This was when the shift in my thinking started taking place when God showed me that he was also present in my work life. 
So God completely broke my old way of thinking where I was separating my work from my ministry. So last year I was struggling in my academics. I started to doubt if the corporate world was where God needed me or if I should consider doing full-time ministry. So I was put in academic probation uh, a year ago, which meant that I needed to bring my GPA up in, in order to stay in school. There was a particular class that I was really having trouble with. Uh, it was calculus. I had a low D going into my final. No, a high D, sorry, going into my final. And so I took time to pray before the final. I was like, God, you know, this is what you want me to do. If you want me to get my degree, just help me with this. You know, I'm, I'm very forgetful, so um, especially in exams or in situations like that, like stress just uh, overwhelms me and I forget things. So, um, but God has something to say, and out of the fear, after my final, I just didn't, I didn't feel that well. I was just like, you know, I don't know if I did good, I don't know if I did bad. So I didn't check my grade all summer long, <laughs> and I was kind of just waiting for that. Um, I was waiting for that letter to arrive at my house to be the, from K-State to say, like, hey, like, you know, you won't be able to come back to K-State. So it was actually, like, a couple of weeks before class started that I checked my grade because everything was just going through. I was enrolled and everything. I was like, that's weird. Um, so I checked my grade, and that once high D turned into a B. So I was like, wow, God, this is definitely you. This was not me. Um, so that's what, that was the moment that I realized this is where God wants me to be. And I need to get my degree to be able to take me wherever he wants me. So, yeah, that was his way of showing me that the corporate world is my calling and that ministry is always and will be with me. Knowing this changed my attitude towards work and school. He wanted me to bring life and energy into my work and the people there. He gave me a greater vision in knowing that he will be present in my everyday life. So I knew at this point that God was calling me into the marketplace and that he was using Best Buy to shape my character, but I was still learning how to fully put my faith into action and stand for my beliefs. So after the seasonal uh, period, uh, we lost a couple of employees. Um, which meant that I now had to fill in for those employees, which meant that I had to work Sunday mornings. So originally, my, my manager told me that it was just going to be a couple of weeks and that I would go back to um, having Sunday's mornings off so I could come to church. But what's supposed to be only a couple of weeks turned into months that turned into like half a year. So this was definitely very convicting. And I wanted to be at church. I knew I, I like God wanted me here. Um, so I was kind of in a conflict where, you know, do I say something? What do I do? So I finally decided to talk to my boss about it. And I was like, hey, like, you told me it was going to be a couple of weeks. You know, I need Sunday mornings for church. Um, you know, can you accommodate that? Or, you know, if not, it's okay, but I'm going to need something that, you know, works for me. So I might have to look for something else. Uh, my manager was great. She def, uh, almost instantly accommodated that. So she gave me Sunday mornings. And, you know, since then I haven't worked a Sunday. I work Sunday afternoons, but I haven't worked a Sunday morning since then. So God definitely gave me the courage to stand up for, uh, stand up for, um, for what I believed in. 
and he definitely came through with an answer. So, and I've been working at Best Buy since I moved to Manhattan, and God has used this place to teach me so much about myself and the man he calls me to be. I, know, I now go to work looking for opportunities to share the kingdom, so that's something that I've been praying for this semester, and I believe. All right. Thank you, Richie. You know, it's, it's interesting how this whole weekday calling theme, a lot of what we're talking about is how God has a great calling for us in the marketplace and wherever he's called us, and he wants to use that to change the world. But oftentimes we don't realize a lot of it has to do with him wanting to change us. And I think Richie's story tells that so well, that God puts us in places that maybe we wouldn't necessarily choose, but he has a purpose of working his character into us and making us the people he wants us to be. And so that, that's really, really cool how God's working in Richie's life. And really, as, as we've been in this, this past few weeks, I've just been growing in my appreciation for you all and the work that you do day in and day out and the way that you are representing Christ and making a difference in the world. And there's just so many, we don't have enough time to talk about all the ways that's happening. We heard from a few people. Uh, last night, I was at a birthday party. And several of us were there. And I found myself in the kitchen talking to a number of people. Uh, a few of them work in the public school district, <coughs> work in the public school system. And then there were a couple other parents there. And just the topic turned to all the challenges of being in schools. And it's so complex. I mean, it's both the kids and all their issues, and then parents, and the teachers, and administration. And, and I was just, I found myself just so... Uh, moved at the importance of this realm of the kids, our, the next generation, and they're, they're in a school for six, seven hours a day, and they're, they're so important, and we need good people there, but there are so many challenges to, to bring the kind of life and training and formation that people really need, and it just was like, man, that is why this is so important, is people's lives are in the balance in every sphere of society, and, you know, so I just have so much respect and appreciation for the different ways that God's people are, are serving him. Our, our theme verse for this series is Colossians 3, 23 and 24, <clears throat> which says, whatever you do, can we all say that? Whatever you do, or how about this, whatever I do, can we say that? Whatever I do, work at it with all your heart, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. There's so much in that. It's, it says, whatever you do, that every, you know, not every, we, we had, it kind of came up in our, in our uh, small group, our weekly calling small group that's at our house. You know, not every vocation you can serve God in. You know, there are some exceptions, like being a drug dealer or <laughs> prostitution or something like that. But, you know, basically, by and large, whatever you do, there's, there's so many places where there is a need for um, where, where we can serve God. And I think one of the keys in this is it's, it's working out with all your heart. That it's an issue of, of our heart. That we're not just coming to our jobs or our daily responsibilities or our family responsibilities as an obligation, but as something that really matters, that our hearts are in, and that we're doing it not for other people or 
not for a paycheck, but as the Apostle Paul says here in this passage, do it for the Lord, not for men. That there is a, it's a sacred calling. That we are doing our work, we're going about our days, not just for the accolades or the people or getting paid, but this is something that is service to our Lord. And He is the one who rewards us. And I love this. I just think about this. As always, our best model for everything God calls us to is the Lord Jesus Himself and the heart of God. And this is the way God demonstrates how He goes about His work. That it's not just like, yeah, I need to run the universe and, you know, this is a big, you know, like, we'll do it with drones. We'll just sort of make a computer program and let it go by itself. But it's, it's always from the heart. John 3.16, God so loved the world. And that world, the word world is, is the word cosmos. It's the whole created order that God made. God so loved the world that he gave the thing most dear to himself, the thing closest to his heart, he gave his son. And he entered into that world and became part of it to bless the world and let it be everything, help it be everything he intended for it to be. And that's the heart that God wants us to have in our jobs and occupations and callings and our families. That it's not just, okay, I have to do this, but God, oh, I, God will give us his heart to love it the way he does and to enter fully in. Now, it's interesting that, too, though, that you know, I tend to be Sometimes you can love something, but not love it the right way. I just thought of this, this, this story this morning. When, when, my, when I was growing up, my sister is one year younger than me, and she was in uh, was like fifth or sixth grade. She was kind of the bombshell of her class. All right, believe it or not, I know, that's, you know I didn't get those genes, but she, we, we, and also we moved to a new school, and so it's kind of like, oh, wow, the new pretty girl effect. We all know what that's like. And there was, one, there was one kid in her class who fell really hard for my sister, Rebecca. And you know, his name, I'm not going to say his actual name, but it's just for the sake of the story. It's kind of like uh, Dirk Fester, all right? And so one day, it really, it was an obnoxious name like that, and it fit his personality. Like, he just was gnarly, had unkempt hair, he wore t-shirts with just weird, you know, stuff on them. It was like not a very attractive guy. And one day, the teacher went out of the classroom, and this guy, Dirk, was so smitten with my sister, he just couldn't contain himself any longer. And he, <clears throat> the teacher was out of the classroom, he climbed up and stood on top of his desk and announced to the class, I love Rebecca Hupp. <laughs> and me and my sister is just shrinking as far back into her seat as she can. Like, how can I get away from the situation? This, this, I don't want it. This is horrible. But sometimes, sometimes that's how Christians are in our approach. Like, we all know the obnoxious Christians, right? We're like, oh, I love God so much, and I love you so much, and I'm just like slobbering all over you, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking silliness all the time, and it's, it's weird and obnoxious, but this, but the weird Christian thing, you feel like, oh, I'm doing it for the Lord, and I'm, I'm just loving. But there's a way to love well, and there's a way to love not well, right? And Dirk was not loving well. And when you look at Jesus, it's, it's amazing that he loved the world. His, his compassion and passion for the world was off the charts. So much that he gave his very life. But that didn't, didn't mean that there, there, there was an intentionality about the way that he he went about his life as well. 
um, there was a certain kind of, of restraint. To, he, would, he would, even he, he, he realized, hey, in, as a man, I can't be in relationship with everybody. So I'm going to choose 12 people to really pour my life into, because that's going to be the way that I can love the world the best. Um, of course, he, you know, he ministered to the multitudes, but he found, what is my sphere of influence? There were times where people said, hey, can you go over here and do ministry over there? And he said, you know, no, that's not my assignment. That's maybe the next generation's. But I need to do what I'm called to do so that that's going to be able to, that's going to carry forth my plan of loving the world the best. And this morning we're going to look at our, our title, our theme is what it looks like to give our all. How do, we, how do we give our all in our weekly call in a way that is well done? In a way that really loves people, that really fulfills God's purpose, that really makes a difference. It's not just slobbering all over but it's, it's actually making a meaningful impact. And so we're going to look at one of, I think, one of the best stories in all of human history. It's the story of, the, of Queen Esther, from the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And it's really the story of Esther and her, her older cousin, Mordecai. And they are a couple of individuals who, who live out. They weren't, they weren't in full-time ministry, so to speak. They weren't pastors or priests. They were rather ordinary people who found themselves in the service of, of the kingdom of Persia. And they ended up advancing to being basically members of the cabinet of the kingdom of Persia. But they served God in an incredibly important way in a critical time in history in a way that shed, can shed light to us and how we live out our weekly call. And so before we, we talk to the story, I just want to pray and ask that God would help us. to. We're going to talk through this whole story, kind of summarize it. And I think there are different things that God wants to speak to different ones of us here. But I just want to trust that, that he, would, he would help us in, so that, in that. So let's pray together. Father, I, I ask you this morning that you would speak to our hearts. That this wouldn't just be my words, but it would be your truth. And if this is your heart, just, just pray with me in, in, your own, in your own hearts. Lord, help me to hear you today. I want to hear what you have for me to hear. I want to be transformed the way you want me to be transformed. If there's anything that you, the God of the universe, has for me, I want to receive it today and live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, the story of, of Esther, the book of Esther, is set in about uh, in the 5th century before Christ. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, had been, become exiles, out of, they, had, they had not followed God well, and as a result, the, the nation of Israel had been defeated by first the kingdom of Babylon, and many of the, of the people had been carried off into exile into the Babylonian empire. And then the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians. And so the Jewish people, which were the people of God at this time, became spread out all throughout the, what was the Babylonian and then the Persian empire. And the Persian empire, it says in this book, and if, uh, I'm encouraged, our, our encouragement this week is to read this book on your own. It's just a powerful story. But it describes it as it spread from all the way from India, where, what's India today, to what's Ethiopia today. It was just this massive world kingdom. And the, the capital of the empire was in Susa, and, which is kind of western Iran today. And the, these two characters, Mordecai, had, had been a Jewish person who was taken off into exile and became a servant 
in the, king, in the king's palace in his service. And then um, he had this cousin, Esther. And so I'm just going to pick up, I'm going to kind of jump around and go through the story, looking at principles for what it looks like to give our all as we go through this. So in Esther chapter 2, verse 5, and actually before we do that, the king of Persia was a guy named uh, Ahasuerus. And it's probably another name for, he's commonly known as, he's probably equated with the historical king Xerxes, or Artaxerxes. Um, but he had, had this huge feast where he invited all his leaders, and they partied for, for, for multiple days. At the end of this party, they were all drunk, and he called his wife, the queen, to come parade in front of them to show off her beauty. And she understandably refused. But refusing the king wasn't really something that was done in this time. And she ended up being deposed, like she lost her queenship. So there's a, there's a vacancy, and they're looking for, for a new queen. And so, in chapter 2, uh, verse 5, just kind of introducing the, the characters, it says, Now there was, a, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And so, here they are. And the first thing that's, that is of interest to us this morning about this, I think, is that Esther and Mordecai were not in the place they were at by choice. They were carried off into, into captivity against their will. And oftentimes, we may find ourselves in a situation like that. Where we're like, man, I am working this job. This is not where I thought I would be in life. This is not, I mean, how many of you thought, how many of you thought you wouldn't live in Manhattan, but you find yourself living in Manhattan? Anyone <laughs> besides me like that? Yeah, it's crazy how often that happens. There is a, life doesn't go the way we want, but God's hand is in things that we don't want. Even the the, the passage from Colossians that I read earlier, about whatever you do, do your work for the Lord, that was actually on the tail end of instructions to slaves. And no one chooses to be a slave, hardly. But this is saying, hey, whatever you do, wherever you find yourself, do that as to God. The Bible also says, hey, if you're a slave and, and you can purchase your freedom, that's great. But if, if not, do your work there as serving God. And so, wherever we find ourselves, God has a way of orchestrating that. And, you know, sometimes there are ways to move and change, and that's great, but we need to serve God wherever we are. Um, Esther, too, like, she, she's, she's going to become the queen, and that, that, um, that wasn't, there was, there was something beyond her, her ability. You know, she, she, beyond her choice, she was a beautiful person, and, you know, every woman is beautiful, but not every woman would have the sort of beauty that people would say, hey, we want you to be a potential queen candidate. And she was one who happened to have that. It was just the, the hand of God upon her life, preparing her for her u- unique destiny. And so, there, there they were. Um, so in verse 16, um, we, we move on. And the word went out, and they were looking for, to replace the, the queen who'd been deposed, they were looking for potential candidates and looking for beautiful young maidens across the land. And in, in verse 16 it says, And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, so they saw her and was like, she's a good candidate, into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month, etc. The king loved Esther more than all the women, 
and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And so, here she is. She's, she's chosen as a candidate, and the details are really interesting. There was, not only did she have natural talent, but there was a year of preparation, of, of honing her abilities, honing her beauty, preparing for her one moment where she's going to appear before the queen, before the king. And she was the one who was chosen. And it's interesting, I think, as we think about our jobs or our occupations, not just being a job, but there being so much more. You know, Esther literally was married to her job, right? Being the queen, it wasn't just like fill out this job application. No, the way to become queen is to marry the king. And that's, she gave herself completely in the most intimate way to come into this position. And this guy that she was marrying was not perfect. He had a, a lot going against him. If I, was, if I was Esther, I'd be like, I don't think I want to marry that guy. He just got rid of his last wife because she didn't do what he wanted him to do. I, you know, I think maybe I'll try to find something else. But, but, there was a, but there was a giving of herself. There was a coming together into that place. And it's a similar thing that God calls us. To, he calls us to imperfect people, imperfect situations. But we're to give of ourselves in a way that is really giving of our hearts and, and really giving of our lives. And so... Um, even when it's not the perfect job, even when it's not the perfect situation. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, had the, the same sort of attitude. And later on in this chapter, we see he's serving the king at the, at the gate. As a, we don't know exactly what his job was, but he was with the other servants as a, a gatekeeper or some, of some sort. Or around the gate. And it says in, in, verse, day, in verse 21... In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to the queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. And so Mordecai was also loyally serving the king. He could have had every reason to be like, you know, these aren't really my people. It doesn't really matter. These, you know, maybe I'd rather these people be king instead of this guy. But there was a loyalty in the situation that he was in. His heart was in it, even in an imperfect situation. But although there was loyalty, it was loyalty with limits. It wasn't absolute loyalty. I like Richie's, Richie's testimony. Because he's like, hey, I learned that, man, I really need to give him my heart in my job. I need to learn to be more punctual. I need to learn to bring more energy. I, this matters. But then there are some things where I need to take a stand. It's not absolute loyalty no matter what. Ultimately, it comes down to I'm serving the Lord, not men. And so I need to look at how do I serve God in my everyday calling. And there will be times where serving God contradicts the status quo of what's going on around us. And I think if we, if we look at our lives, our jobs, we can, those situations probably come to mind. Um, there was a situation that, that came up soon after this, and I'm just going to summarize it. But in, in the next chapter of Esther, this other dude, Haman, and he's the villain of the story. He's about as good of a villain as you can find in any story there is. But he was just, a, just kind of a, a nasty dude who somehow got the king's favor and he became elevated to 
the number two position in the kingdom of Persia. And so when he would go out, the people would have to bow before him and honor him as a representative of, of the king and as this exalted position. But Mordecai realized, you know what? I had to, for me to serve God as my God, I can't bow to another person. And so when all the other servants and people would bow before Haman, Mordecai refused to bow. And he stood up. And this infuriated Haman. And, of course, the other servants were like, what are you doing? You're going to lose your head. You know, this is, not, this is not the sort of kingdom where civil disobedience is encouraged. You know, people lose their heads rather quickly and easily and other body parts. Like, it's, it, it's a cruel place. What are you doing? But um, he said, no, I have to take a stand on this issue. And so Haman was like, all right, he's going to die. But not only that, not only is he going to die, but because he's doing this out of his faith and because he's from the people of Israel, it's not enough to kill him. But I'm going to take out all of his people. We're going to destroy all the Jewish people. And it's interesting that if, if you can hear through the story, it wasn't just someone doing his job, but there, is, there are forces of good and evil at work in what was going on. That when, when you go to your job, it's not just, hey, how much money do I make? But there is a cosmic battle between good and evil. There are forces. There are spiritual powers. There, and you can probably sense them sometimes in the conversations in the lunchroom or some of the interactions with your boss. Like there's, there's something going on here beyond just someone doing their job. There, there, there's something really important happening here. And so Mordecai, um, he was loyal to the king, but there were limits to what he would do. And that's the same way God calls us to live. And there, there come places in our life where we have to answer the question, will I take a stand? Will I be willing to do something that's going to cost me something? And that's really the test of, of taking a stand, is, is there a cost that will be paid? And not only for, for Mordecai was there a cost for him, but it was a cost that affected thousands and thousands of other people as well. Um, it, so the, the word went out that on a certain day, that the, the armies and the people of the Persian Empire were, were commanded to go out and take their swords and wipe out, annihilate, all the people from Israel that were in, in the kingdom. And so this word came out. We pick up the story in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 12. And Esther, Esther got this word, and she, she told Mordecai what she'd heard. And it says, they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And so she sent her servants to tell Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, that you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, this is actually the, the book of Esther. is the only book in the Bible. It has a, a unique distinction. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. No one in the Bible doesn't mention God. And I think that's interesting in light of what we're talking about today, that in our weekday calling, we find ourselves in situations where it doesn't seem to be very spiritual. It doesn't seem to be about the purposes of God. It seems very mundane or very worldly. But underneath it all and behind it all, God is working. God is involved. God has a purpose. 
God is organizing things and calling people and speaking and, and moving. And Mordecai was aware of this, and he, he, he said to Esther, hey, it's not by chance that you find yourself in this position. It's not just so that you can have a nice wardrobe and have a nice life and have this nice, posi- nice position. But really, God has put you in this position for such a time as this. Now what are you going to do in the place you find yourself? And verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So as Esther answered the call. She said, you know what, this is why I'm here. And this is something more important than my own life. This is something more important than my own welfare. I have to do what I can do. And if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do something. And man, what a, what a heroic person she is. You know, that's, that's the kind of heart that you know, we, all, we all would want to have, I think. Um, she realized that, and it, that there, was a, there was a time... Um, there's a time to, to serve nicely, and there's a time to break the rules. And this was a time to break the rules. And so the way it worked was that you, and she, she said, but, but this is a, she had said earlier, man, I've actually, it seems like the king's kind of forgotten about me. We haven't interacted much in the last month. He hasn't called me into his presence for the last month. And there's a law that if you go before the king, when he hasn't called you, it's off with your head. You're, you'll be killed. And unless he takes his scepter and extends it to you, then he would extend grace to you. But unless he does that, man, it's, I, I, would, I would die. But that's what she said. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come before him. So in chapter 5, it says, On the third day, verse 1, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. That was kind of like when, uh, when Richie's boss told him, all right, we're going to start over. We're going to give you a clean slate. <laughs> that was the golden scepter being extended right there for him. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. Now, it's something that people, I'm sure that because of who Esther was and her relationship with the king, she had earned a lot of favor. And there was a propensity for the king to extend favor to her. Plus, I think there's the fact that just whenever someone's courageous, it's very likable, right? Like, even if someone's doing something standing up to you, but they're doing it in a, in a respectful but courageous way, I mean, that, that speaks to your heart. And I think that spoke to the king's heart. It was like, oh, man, there must be something important that she's risking her life. And, okay, I, I'll give you half the kingdom, 
because you, you really have, have earned my favor. And so, man, that's just so cool how she broke the rules, but there was a, a, there was a, a response that God came through and, and granted favor in the king's, the king's heart. Um, but it's interesting, even then, this is, goes back to, it's, it's loving well. It's loving, but loving well. It's taking a stand, but knowing the right way to do it. And Persian culture, most Eastern cultures are very different than, than American culture. And one of the differences is that Americans tend to be pretty direct. We, we, we like to just like get straight to the point and talk about it. But a lot of Eastern cultures, it's like three cups of tea and you know, rounds of pleasantries. And there's this, this indirect way of bringing up things, especially if they're important. And Esther understood that, that, okay, this is a really important issue, but i got to be careful the way I bring it up. I, I want to do it well. And so in, in the next verse, verse 4, it says, Esther said, Even if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I had prepared for the king. And so she did break the rules. She was taking a stand, but she was doing it in a culturally appropriate way, in a way that was giving her the best chance of success. And so she invited the king to a dinner. She invited Haman, the, who really was the arch nemesis of, of, of her people, to this dinner too. And so the king said, okay, sure, let's, we'll come to dinner. And so they came, she served them, they had this great dinner. And then at some point after they talked for a while, the king said, oh, this is great. You know, what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? And she said, well, let's come back tomorrow night for dinner. And I'll tell you then. And so she's just warming, she's, 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 she's making it easier for this to happen. And it's funny, it's, it's one of the best parts of the story is Haman goes home and he's so excited. Because he's like, man, not only does the king love me, but the queen does too. He just, she just invited me to dinner. And man, I, things are going so well. This is great. All his family's celebrating. He says, the only thing that bothers me is there's still that dude Mordecai. who he, He's just, you know, really a burr under my saddle. Um, but, but, you know, we're going to take care of him soon. And his family's like, hey, you should erect these gallows. Erect some gallows 75 feet hall, tall. And we'll, you can hang him on those gallows. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll order that tomorrow. And so he's all warmed up. Like, man, this is going so good. And he has the next morning he wakes up and orders the gallows built. And so this, it's the, the, God's plan is working along with his people. And that this is where the whole story turns. And that night, the king can't sleep. And really, I think God's hand was in that, that he was making him restless, and he said, well, why don't you bring me, I, I want to read through some of our, our records, read through some of our history. And they bring him the, re, the story. He's reading through the, the, the recent history, recent events. And he reads this story of how these two guys had tried to commit treason on him and take away his kingdom. So, oh yeah, that, that just happened not too long ago. Whatever happened to the guy who, who helped uncover that plot? And he asked his servants, and they said, oh, actually nothing. It was Mordecai, but... We didn't do anything. He's still serving in the gate. And the king's like, oh, man, we need to do something for that guy. Wow, he, he saved our kingdom. So the next morning, Haman goes to work, and he's all excited. He's feeling good. He's got his, he orders the gallows built, and he appears before the king. And the king tells him, all right, I've got a question for you. What should the king do for the man that he wants to honor? And Haman goes, oh, man, here's my moment. I'm even going to be recognized even more. Like, you should... So, well, what would I really want? 
So he says, well, you, what, 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 you would, what you should do is take your best royal robes and put it on that man and take your ro- royal steed and make a parade and go through all the streets proclaiming to all the people, this is the way the man will be honored who serves the king and with whom the king has favor. And the king says, that's a great idea. There's this guy Mordecai. (laughs) I want to honor him. So go find him, and I want you to take my horse and lead him through the streets, telling everybody this is the way the male will be honored, who who the king wants to honor. And you can just feel the whole story turns. His family starts to go, oh, shoot, you're dead. (laughs) This isn't looking good. And so Haman spends his day leading Mordecai through the streets, honoring him and all the people. And at the end of the day, he's flusters. Oh, I got this dinner to go to. He's not feeling quite as good as he was at the end of the night before. They serve this dinner again. And then the king asks, okay, what do I do? Or, or the, the king asks the queen, hey, what, now, what, why did you, what, is there something on your mind here? What do you want to talk about? And Esther, she turns from Sweet, demure, nice host Esther. And she says, this man is trying to destroy my people and me. He is evil. And the king realizes what's happened, and he's infuriated. And there's some interesting details in the story, but he finds out that Haman has, has built some gallows for Mordecai, and he says, all right, you're dying on those gallows. And the whole, the whole thing turns because Esther's living out her calling. And God comes through and, and does an incredible work. Um, the end of the story, it's you know, basically Esther, she continues to step up. And she goes from being this, this queen who's, who's probably you know, more, of, more of the arm candy queen kind of person to becoming a real official in the cabinet. And she, she's speaking to the king and saying, look, what are we going to do? And he says, well, we can't change the law. I've already said that on this certain date that the, the, Jew, the, the people have to attack the Jews. But I can make a new law. And we're going to make a new law that says the Jews can defend themselves and that the king is actually for them. And this word goes out. And she's, Esther, again, she's within her, her role, but she's, she's, she's acting boldly and intelligently. And she's serving the purposes of God in a powerful way. Um, and basically what they decide is, okay, on this certain day, the Jews can defend themselves. And when the word goes out, just the hearts of all the people are, are filled with fear of, of the Jewish people. And many of the people actually join their side. And we pick up the story in, um, in, chapter, in, in chapter 9, verse 2. It says that the Jews gathered in their cities and throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and all the various officials also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. And basically there was this great victory that happened, that the Jews defeated their enemy, many, most, many of the people came to their side, and there wasn't even that big of an attack against them, and those who did were defeated, 
and this, this great victory happened that to this day is still celebrated among the Jewish people as, as the festival of, of Purim. And in the end, Esther and Mordecai are, are elevated to these positions of, of responsibility and leadership in the kingdom. The, the book ends up in, in chapter 10. Just read these last couple of verses. It says, all the, all the acts of King Ahasuerus' power and might in the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. He sought the welfare of his people. In the context of his weekday calling, he was living for something so much more. And that's really what God's call is for us. Jesus said that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones, if you are my follower, I have called you to bring my blessing, to bring my ways, to bring my blessing into the world around you, to bring light, to bring savoriness, to to make things the way they're supposed to be. You are the light of the world. And if that, that is in our jobs, in our studies, in our communities, in our schools, in our families, in our weekday calling. There are ways like this that God wants us to bring things about that are the way he wants them to be. And so, I know we're all in in different places like this. And and really, it's just, this brings me to the place over and over again that, man, God, I can't live this way by myself. I read about Esther. I read about Mordecai. It's like, well, they were heroic. I, I don't feel that way about myself. I don't feel like, would I be able to have the courage and the wisdom to, to do what they did. But God, you're calling me to live that way. You're calling us to live that way. God, that brings us to a place of saying, God, will you please help us? God, will you give us the ability? Will you give us the grace to fulfill the calling that you've given us? And if you're here today and you, know, you haven't yet bowed your knee to Jesus and, and trusted him, then this is the day that God is offering you an opportunity to say, Lord, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sin and trust you to come in my life and, and make me a new person and help me to live out this calling. If you're here today and you haven't really seen your everyday life as a calling from God, then God, by his grace, wants to help you to see that. And if, as you'll look to him and trust in him, he will change the way you see that. If maybe you're, you're in your life and you're like, yeah, I see it, but man, I need more wisdom. I need more understanding. I need the kind of wisdom Esther had to know how to go about this in a way that's actually going to be effective. God wants to meet you in that place as we look to him and, and give you the wisdom that you need. And, you know, maybe, and I think this is true for all of us, we need courage just to take a stand. And God wants to meet us and give us the grace that, that we need to do that. So I'm just going to pray and, and ask God to help us. It's, it's through Christ that this is made possible. It's through him coming to the earth and loving us in this way that we can experience that and live that out. And let's, let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord God, thank you for the, the high calling you've given us. Lord, I, I thank you for the, the ways that many of us have already seen that this works. 
seeing that trusting you changes us, brings us into something more, gives us what we need. But God, we're here today saying we, we can't do this without you. But we believe that you came to the earth and lived and died and rose again so we could live the kind of lives you've called us to. That we could live out our, cult- our, our weekday calling. That we could have courage and understanding and live this out. Lord, I, I pray for everyone in this room this morning that you would give them the same type of anointing that you gave Esther, that you gave Mordecai, that you would raise up Esther's and Mordecai's in this very room and send us out to bring your blessing, to bring what the world needs. God, we thank you for that. We trust you for it. We trust you to continue speaking to our hearts.